Hola a todos. Welcome to the Dish Pig, where we go on a journey of discovery in the food and booze world. I'm your host, Nick Sherry. This week we're traveling to Spain. Not physically, of course, just in our minds and hearts as the world is still trying to recover and open up. Wow, how good is it going to be to travel again? What will be the first country you'd visit? Let us know if you like. Send us an email at ask at dishpigpodcast.com or you can flick us a message on Instagram at the underscore dish underscore pig. Remember to like, follow us, subscribe. So this week we caught up with Frank Camora and Andy McMahon, owners of the Spanish institution that is Movida here in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. It was these guys who really brought the true meaning of tappers to Australia almost 20 years ago. So let's jump in. Andy McMahon. Hello. Frank Camora. Hello. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being here. I should actually... I need to thank you straight up because without both of you, this actually wouldn't even be called the Dish Pig. Um, I worked as a Dish Pig in Movida back, what, 18 years ago? Yes. So, so thanks for that. Oh, absolute pleasure. <laughs> you stick actually, around long, actually, it. <laughs> <laughs> was it a was it a one gig wonder? No, well, I, uh, I kept it, it, it's it's you know when like memories get like, they get a bit hazy in the mind. Like I th- I think I keep telling people, oh yeah, I was a dish pig there for two years. I'm pretty sure it wasn't two years. Me in the one. Yeah, I remember you were there for yeah maybe a month or two, and you're only just starting to get really good. And then they go, <laughs> okay, we're pulling him out to the front of house. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I'm glad you said I was starting to get really good because I think one of the worst days of my life uh, washing dishes in the kitchen was during service, getting slammed, you're, you're in there cooking away and the dishes just keep piling up <laughs> on my side, on the dirty side. And I think at one stage you're just like, oh, fuck, and just jump in there and start washing the dishes. And I'm, I step back, I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> the head chef is now cooking and washing the dishes at the same time because I can't keep up. Uh, that does sound right. do. I actually remember that uh, one, I think it was your first night when you'd finished. It was about 12.30, quarter to one. You're the last person working in the restaurant. And uh, Michael and I walked in and we had a cold stubby for you and you looked shattered. And I remember <laughs> we said... You were over 18. Have, have, you, have you finished? Have you cleaned down the sink and sanitised it? And you said, yeah, yeah, it's all done. It's all done. Bins are out. And so we finished. And we said, there's one job left to do tonight. And that's oh. clean out the grease pit. And we, <laughs> and we lifted up the wow. hat. <laughs> and he nearly started crying. <laughs> I remember that. The look oh. on my face, like there was like... It was almost like I was about to burst into tears. You were. You were. Oh. Um, cruel. But uh, so what, what was the last thing you cooked, cooked for yourself, gentlemen? Frank, what was the last thing you cooked for yourself? Um, I made a, um, a fish dish the other day over uh, Friday, which is like a little uh, mackerel um, cutlet, um, marinated, pan-fried, uh, with like a tomato sauce. Quite simple. It's delicious. Lovely. Yeah. Was, that, was, was that for you and the family or just a little? Me and the family. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. How about you, Andy? Uh, also, Boko. Ooh. And I've ended up burning my wrist terribly. Wow. Oh, and wow, I can see the wealth and then there. two minutes later, cutting off my fingernail on the <laughs> other hand. So it went well, and it was awfully tough. So it wasn't worth it at all. Um, well, let's, you know, let's kind of take it back a bit in, in the history of, you know, what, what led up to, to Movera and what it is today. But um, I guess we'll start with you, Frank. So going, going all the way back, you, you grew up, you, well, you were born in Spain. 
Oh, we're going that far. We're back, going that far we're back. Going, we're going, going right well. back. <laughs> um, I was born in Barcelona, mm-hmm. and my folks moved here in the mid seventies. Um, I was five years old. Uh, eventually, moved to Geelong. Shout out to your mum and dad. Yeah, they're still still ticking along there in Geelong. Um, and uh, my my background was never going to be a chef. I I studied architecture for five years. In fact, I was doing my thesis year, and at the same time, I was always working in kitchens. So I was working. Uh, as a dish pig, <laughs> of course. Very nice, uh, good as start. As a short, short order cook, uh, as a waiter even, and um, and then just started falling in love with the industry and working out that, you know, that's what I was good at, that's what I enjoyed doing. So I did an apprenticeship back down to Lawn, uh, got my foot in the door down there, which we now have a restaurant in, uh, yeah. which is nice to sort of go full circle in a way. Um that um, that was great. I mean, it, but it wasn't really sort of the style of food I really wanted to cook. So ended up coming back to Melbourne and worked for the Grossies for seven or eight years um, as an apprentice initially. Then ran a couple of their restaurants. And Italian food was, you know, that was the food of Melbourne at that time, and probably mm-hmm. still is really. Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, and I was sort of, you know, that, thinking back then, it was like, well, you know, I yes, I, I know how to cook, you know, good Italian food, but. I'm just one of many in that situation and you know, I wanted to do what people like Guy um, and, say, Greg Maloof had done with the cuisine that they grew up with and sort of elevate it to a level which I didn't think Spanish food had really sort of sort of come to that level yet. Yeah. And so then I went back to Spain and that was luckily, <coughs> luckily the time that, you know, the Spanish food had just sort of matured and developed... Uh, following over the world because of people like Fer and Adria. So, you know, the restaurant El Bouilly, which is like the sort of the start of molecular cuisine, which, you know, you may or not may or not be a fan of, but it brought a lot of interest into Spanish food in general. Mm-hmm. So so I went over there um, with my wife at the time and we worked in several different restaurants and travelled around and basically worked in some really high-end sort of, you know, um, Modern Spanish cuisine and also some very traditional sort of places like, you know, mum and dad pop type things. We just learned the really traditional dishes. We walked around, uh, we sort of travelled around, you know, each region and came back to Melbourne and nobody wanted to hire me. So so I'd been head chefs in, you know, very well-renowned um, Italian restaurants, travelled overseas. No one would hire me cooking Spanish food unless I cooked Italian food. I was going to say, like, they, they, they weren't hiring you not because of, like, your, you know, your experience and your skills. It was just... This is the food that we're cooking in Melbourne at the moment, and if you don't want to cook that, then yeah. Well, I was doing some casual work at a place, and I remember the um, quite a well-renowned um, uh, marketing person. She's really incredibly well-renowned in the industry at that time, and she said, "No one's ever going to want to eat Spanish food. Just stick to Italian food." And I remember <laughs> name that right name, name and shame <laughs> no, her <I> right. <laughs> no, yeah, it's like you know, just stick to this restaurant. You take the role, and and um, you know, and then. Eventually, this is how I met Andy um, and Michael Bartholomew. Um, you know. He'll come up later in a few stories. <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> um, a mutual friend suggested that I go and um, see Michael, actually, at, at this pub called the Karen Hotel in West Melbourne, which coincidentally is like a stone throw from where I live now. But uh, yeah. it's, um, So I went in there and, look, they, they were looking for someone just to run the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Eventually, Michael, you know, he's not the most efficient of people. <laughs> he eventually got 
got the word up to. Um, Didn't you have to call him like eight times, like just oh, to try just and get some in, sort of an answer? Ring, pop in, yeah. and yeah, I well, think and it might have been his his um his sister um, Eliza, Eliza that actually. Uh, Made the movement called uh, Pete Bartholomew and, and Con and got it moving. Because right. and, and at the Karen, um, I mean, it'd be a, a good segue to you here, Andy, because that was that was your, I guess, your introduction to to the hospitality world. Like, yeah, it leading was. up to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was mucking around in after school, didn't really know where I was coming or going, having a bit of fun, mind you. Um, and it got to the stage where. Uh, Con and Pete and a few others, a couple of partners, had a this pub, which was called the Karen Tavern. It no longer exists, does it? Still there physically, yeah. but it's just but it's, it's not changed. A pub. It's yeah, not it's a pub. um, yeah. it'll uh, forever education. be in our hearts, of course. Oh, though, I mean, of course. Well, mate, it's, it's yeah, <laughs> great story. Fondly though. remembered, you know, like it was. It, but back then, it was a shit heap, you know, and <laughs> it was just around the corner from the Roman Centre, and Mark Michael was running it. Because um, he didn't really have anything else to do. So Pete put him in charge of there. And it got to the stage where Dad rang me and said, OK, well, why don't you go down and work with Michael? You know, if you're not going to be going to uni, you're not going to be doing this and that, you might as well go and work full-time with Mick and um, and run the pub for us. And we had this daggy little sort of uh, dining area at the back, which we inherited the, the Chan family. I was going to say, because there was, there, there was already food being cooked in that kitchen. Yeah. Actually, quick quick confession about about the Chan family and cooking their Chinese food in that pub. Yes. So, so so you you hired me to kind of just you know be be a bit of a um, a bus boy there and you know pick up a glassy mm. um, ashtrays back then of an yeah. <laughs> of an evening when I feel bad confessing this, but of an evening when the kitchen had shut and everyone had kind of gone home, <laughs> they would keep the daily like amount of fried rice that they'd made mm. in a bowl in in the cool room. So I'd swing by and just get a spoon and just take a couple <laughs> of spoonfuls out <laughs> as a little end of service reward. Um, but yeah, Pardon sorry. Me. I think we all did that. The sweet and sour pork. Christ, mm. looking back on it, how we didn't get sick. Well, anyway, some of the dishes were... that Movita were created that way, in fact. I remember <laughs> the Miguel. The Miguel, <laughs> Michael again. Um, so, yeah, the Chan family, they just did all the, the, you know, they were a really lovely family. They had a, a small following of people who loved cheap Chinese food on certain days of the week. They'd come down. So, you know, Fridays, I remember, was uh, the busy day. Yeah. The lemon chicken, sweet and sour pork, fried rice, pot of lemon squash. Special and um, delightful, and it sort of got to the stage where you know we sort of all thought, including the older boys, that maybe it was time for a change. You know, we were bringing new customers into the Karen. Um, the old guys had sort of left. It was us young guys, and we thought, well, if we're going to paint the place, put a bit of money into the to the refurb of it, then let's try and elevate the kitchen up to a, a bit of a better level. So. I think that's how it sort of all came about, didn't it? That mutual friend said, yeah. Frank, go down and speak to the guys. Yeah, exactly. They're looking for someone new. And because um, it was wasn't, wasn't yeah. it initially you came in and it was it was a pretty casual arrangement, wasn't it? Like you, you do the food, the boys at the front do the drinks. It and certainly it wasn't, wasn't a contract or lease. <laughs> yeah. Let's put it that way. It was pretty <laughs> legal teams that went over it. <laughs> it was okay. You know, you do this, we'll do that. We can trust it. Handshake agreement. And that was yeah. wonderful. And that was, you know, a good way to start it, in fact. Where was your dad then? He could have looked over the contracts for it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, so, okay, so this so this is when the the two of you are kind of almost, mm-hmm. you know, randomly kind of come together as. Um, but I guess you'd say then you weren't officially business partners. But you you just come back from Spain. Mm. You're testing out the food in the Karen, basically. 
We are, yeah. I mean, look, I I realise now that if I had gone straight into a restaurant, my own or someone else's restaurant, and just automatic because I'd never cooked that food for Australians, I never sort of saw what the reaction. That was the the Karen. What a wonderful thing was it was um, a way to sort of sift out the rubbish, keep the keep the gold, but also the structure of the menu. So mm. we weren't doing tuppers originally. So my whole background no. was fine dining, right? So mm. it was like. Entree main, dessert, you know, and sort of structuring it. I wanted to make Spanish food, you know, um, a level that hadn't been done. So tapas seemed to me like I really was, you know, that's bar food in Spain. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do sort of a fine dining version of it. Um, And then I I remember my wife at the time just said, you love tapas, why don't you just do tapas? That's what people would see to want. And that was a real change. And that was what I think then brought on quite a bit of success there. People love the fact that, they could try food that they might normally not um, invest in as an entree on main, but they, you know, we had tripe on the menu. Yeah, you know, we had black pudding. We used to make our black puddings. Black pudding, yeah, stuff like that. You know, you're not gonna if you're not, you know, a foodie. Let's say you're not gonna go. Okay, I'm just gonna have that entree or that main, and just you know, I've never tried tripe, but I'll give it a go. But on the other hand, like if you've got four or five different items and you've got one thing on the table that you're going to attempt to try. Mm. And we were selling food that sometimes I can't even sell at the restaurant now, like, you know, really interesting items, really out there food, things that would have been really alien for most people back then as well. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting because we had that pub crowd that used to come in and then really quickly at the Karen, there was a bit of a cult following around your food. And it was as simple as... Well, it got written up, right? It was, it was Michael and mm. I out in the bar and yep. a couple of others, you know, in the family sort of helping out. And then it was you, Vanessa... And Jimmy and, Campbell, yeah. And before Jimmy, it was just Twan, Twan really, who's still, still, still with us. Exactly. You know? yeah. He's been working still with there us today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Makes the bread. Yeah. I remember. Um, He's still wearing the, the same jumper he was twenty-two years ago. Yeah. So, so Matt <laughs> Preston was the first person to review us, and yeah. I remember distinctly what happened. Like he, so the room was actually early. It was quiet, and um, so this big guy walks in the door. I, I didn't know him from a bar of Snope, and I'm looking. Where's the? Where's the? Waiter gone. I cannot find the waiter. So it was... Um, is that Christian Lonson? Christian Lonson, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's not Shout around. Out the anyway, anyway, so I, I go down, have a look at the bar. Hey, Christian, there's a customer. He goes, oh, mate, I'm just talking to my girlfriend. I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so he's there talking to his girlfriend in the bar while he's meant to be working. Yeah. Probably eating a steak at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so I go and, and, and seat Matt down. And by that time, he's yeah, still having a chat to his girlfriend. Must have been, you know, quite a nice relationship. Yeah. And, um, you know, took his order. And then I realised... This guy knows what exactly he's talking about. He's talking about suckling pig and knew all the food back to front. And so I served him as well as and 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 he, you know, and the, I'll be honest, the service was rubbish. I cooked <laughs> the food, but he forgave that and sort of saw the potential. Gave us a really great review. Yeah, and he became a champion of the yeah, of the place. He absolutely. really did. So that was so that was I guess that was the start of the next chapter in a way when because like you say, it got a bit of a cult following. More and more people would start to come down to the pub for the food. Yeah. But at what, at what stage... And well, it wasn't just Friday afternoons, it was busy. It's sort of, you know, Tuesdays yeah. and Wednesdays, we'd mm. have a bit of a crowd. And that was when I was introduced to, like, Scott Wosley and stuff, and he started selling us wine. Yeah, that was You know, we, we took the wine offering up to a better level, you mm-hmm. know, um, than what it was. Mm. And, yeah, it's it, it, it became a bit of a success, you know, sort of hold on to your hats. And what, that, that went on for... Was it was it only about a year, a couple of years? I reckon that was about a year and a half, two years. It about. was a year and a half, eighteen yeah. months or so. Yep. Um, and then, and at what stage was it? All right, we're going to now take this to the next level. We're actually going to move this into a it was sort of proper restaurant. 
there was a bit of a meeting that was organised, and the guys had sort of re- the older guys had revealed to us that they'd had an offer on the pub. Also, oh, the owners, right? Yeah, the, that they wanted to take. So it was going to be the end of the Karen as we knew it. But at the same time, it was exciting news because everyone sort of said, "Hey, you know, we're, we're not going to throw this away. What we've got with Movita, the pub might be going, mm-hmm. but let's take this into the CBD." You know, so who's in, who's out, who wants to come along for the journey? And that's how we went about finding Hosea Lane. And so let's, yeah, so let's talk about how how Movita, well, what's now known as Movita Original, mm-hmm. ends up in, in Hosea Lane. Like, talk us through that kind of process, finding the site, location. Well, I mean, to what, me, it was a no-brainer. I remember um, Pete Bartholomew coming with that location, um... There used to be a restaurant called Dimaconi's. Dimaconi's. Dimaconi's, which is Joe Joe Dimaconi. Yes. Joe, yeah. So it was like um, Joe. Do you remember it was him drinking VB stubbies out the back at ten a.m. <laughs> oh, yeah. the, oh wow! Yeah, he was a true professional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But I, look, I, he was ahead of his time. I think you said this, Andy. It was like it was the first. Like he had a little pizza like takeaway. On Flinders Street, and then Hosea Lane was like his fine dining pizza. Yeah, like because oh, like, they connected know, through the back, didn't they? They, they did. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was the first place, you know, as a pizza joint. They're taking it to another level. I mean, they even had their own karaoke stage, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> as you entered, they had like this little hut that you'd walk through, like, and then walk into this another world. Really, it was like stepping back twenty years. To be honest, I'm I'm gutted we didn't take photos of the <laughs> yeah. place. You know, we're, we're talking about this recently because we're we're trying to get all the old photos for the. It was at the Australian Culinary. Archive, yeah, archive, they've the asked house, us for stuff. Yeah. Mm. But this is the days before mobile phones. So, like, if you wanted to take a photo, you had to carry around a camera. Nobody yeah. did that. So we didn't take any of the photos of the place before we, you know, started to renovate it or what it looked like. So, But, um, yeah, it was a funny little place. It came about Pete and Dad and their good mate at the time who's since died, poor old Sandy Robinson. He was Alexander Robinson. So he sort of, you know, had his you know, cronies out looking for little places, came across this place. And poor old Joe Marconi, he was uh, down on his luck behind in his rent, so he mm. was eager to just get out of it. So it cost us very little to take over the lease. And Frank and I got the keys. We were a little bit concerned with the location. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is before oh. graffiti. It was pretty dark. And well, this is 2003, yeah. right? This is 18 years ago. Yep, yep. absolutely. But, so, um, I mean... The Fed Square had just opened, like yeah. a month or two before we opened, and so and and to me, like the laneway itself looked like I was in Madrid. Yeah, you know, it felt right, even though maybe the location wasn't as you know we were. It wasn't Burke Street to yeah. go up the other end of town, but yeah. um, just felt right. Yeah, yeah, no, it was good. So that was two thousand and three, and then we uh, painted it, we stripped it ourselves. Worked on it for a little while, remember? Yeah, we... I think Michael was working up at the Adelphi at the time. I can't remember. me and Jimmy in there cleaning it. Yeah, I mean, it needed a good... Yeah, we we pulled, demolished it, scrubbed it out um, and, yeah, got it to a certain level that we can fit it out. But it was really Mm. done on a shoestring, like, to be honest. The majority of that design is what was already there. you know, architects had come up with, you know, new floors and, yeah. you know, new ceilings and, you know, really. But we just basically made the, the bar built, the Built the bar because, and let the rest fall into place. Yeah, because for me, like, you got to think back then, right? Like, the whole idea of a restaurant that had a bar where you'd eat at mm-hmm. was pretty pretty new, to be honest. I, mean, I, Andy, I, I yeah. can't remember one. 
yeah. myself that you would you would go to a restaurant at that time, sit on the bar with your partner on the stool and have dinner. And, and, and you're eating, eating the that. same food as you would be in the as dining room. In the dining room, room. Yeah. absolutely right. And it was you know? really yeah that that whole concept was. Uh, a bit alien and it took a bit of time for people to come to terms with it like for the first few months Dennis we committee never came to oh, terms with it funniest, <laughs> not good enough as he <laughs> said to you when you're offered him the bar stool yeah. um, so but I mean and that was it that was like the dining room was full the bar was empty and then yeah. I remember a few months into it turning around and it was almost felt like that like a snap it was like my god this is like Spain. Everyone in this bar is eating. They're passing food over their heads. Talking to each other. I don't know what yeah. it was. It just happened. I remember very early Movetta when we first opened up, you used to make me get on the ladder and write the menu on the chalkboard 16 feet up in the air every day. But we still had entrees and mains up there. And then we started doing less main courses and we started to do more yep. tapas and more yep. little shared plates. Well, and that stimulated yep. sharing between yep. families and, and people in mm. the bar. And it, it was really quick. And then it just got really busy and the buzz of the place came alive when the bar started to fill up as well. You know. And that and that whole idea of you know tuppers and and you know shared plates, you you could almost say that what you guys were doing at Movita was almost setting a new standard for a shared shared plate menu in Melbourne, right? Hundred percent, I would agree. And I've had other people say that to me as well. You know, it's not just our take on it, mm. but but you know, saying that Movita was the first place that whole sharing five or six things. You know, not a degustation, but just casually sharing five or six things. No one else but was doing it at the time. It was on Trey Main. That's one yeah. thing about Movita you know. that was really kind of yeah, new and, and inventive for Melbourne. But the other thing was the style of service. And I give credit to Andy and Michael. And, and because because of that pub background, like I remember coming from quite a fine dining background, being, you know, wanting stiff, professional, rigid, mm. rigid exactly. And all of a sudden, you know, these guys are having fun with the customers. I was going to say, do you bring the place to life. It was amazing. Do, do, yeah. do, do you have a name for, for that style of service, Andrew, that you and Michael <laughs> came up with? Is it, uh, um, no, no. Unorthodox. Uh, <laughs> it was fun. I mean, yeah. that's and the and the, yeah. and the crowd, took, you know, understood it, and they were having fun as well. And yeah. you know, it really, um, you know, is that combination of the food and the fun service that is what made Movita really, you know, tick. Yeah. And I guess it, it must be it must be easy to look back on it now, but at the time, like in the just say the first twelve months of the of, of Movita. Was there? I mean, what was going through your head in terms of like, fuck? If the, what? What if this doesn't work? What if this falls on its ass? He said that to me. Oh yeah. But <laughs> the, the first day before we opened, I remember Frank looked at me and goes, "Do you reckon anyone will ever come in here?" <laughs> and I, I was worried. It was, <laughs> it was about nine months later that we were sort of working seven days a week, just like have, we had to open up Sundays. Remember, because yeah. we were so busy. No one opened on a Sunday no. in Melbourne. Yep. And then they took off, and it was yeah, it was it, it sort of became relentless very quickly. Mm. Um, I think the first year it was really hold on to your hats. We didn't have time to think, to be honest. Um, it was yeah. basically just go along for the ride yeah. and let it take you where it did. And then it took several years for us basically to catch our breath and go, okay, this is a really good business. We need to control it, make sure the standards stay. How do we do that? Because yeah. you know, I'm a chef. I'm not. You know, I'm not trained in how to run a business. You know, yeah. Andy's a waiter and he is the same. So it took a while for us to get our heads around, okay, what do we need to do to make this place, you know, sustainable long term? Absolutely. And when do you think you realised that, you know, you had something and that there was, you know, ex- I mean, I call it, you know, pretty pretty big 
growth within the business. I mean, it's it's you now have several venues. That, I mean, a lot a lot has happened in the last eighteen years. But what does what does that expansion kind of look like, and 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 how did how did it come about? Uh, the first the first when I realised that we had to do it was when I had to try and convince Frank that we needed a full time receptionist to answer the phone because <laughs> I was fucking sick of answering four hundred phone calls during service and doing the front door. So. When we sort of – and that's – and credit to Con and Pete, you know, they, they put those finishing touches on the, the business acumen side of mm. the business, you know. Mm. I got better. I was still learning the whole way through, still am, you know. Um, and then we – those guys really sort of – everyone sort of did what they do well, you know, and it was and it was a good team to take it and go, okay, let's bed down Movita Original. Now what else can we look to do and, and, and take this brand – and this loyal following to another level and, you know. It's always been a slow progression for us. It hasn't been like, okay, we're going to open. We've made a, you know, a master plan. We're going to open five places over the next you know, no, year or six months or whatever. You know, the first place we opened was this little milk bar on the corner of, well, we call it Next Door because it's basically Next Door of Movita on, on the corner of Flinders Street and Hosier. Um, and that was just because we were thinking, oh, we've got this, you know, excess patronage. We'll give them a place to have a drink. That yeah. turned into its own beast, turns into its own restaurant. Yeah. And then this great location, Movita Key, came about, which was, you know, a much bigger restaurant. And the opportunity and the demand was still like at this stage we were booked out months in advance. Mm. Like it was yeah. months in advance. Like and um the demand was there. So we then took on a much larger location right in the sort of law uh, financial precinct, which is still there and and that, that was a risky well. decision because there was no restaurants up that end of town. You know, mm. that was foreign to us. Next door was easy enough because it was literally next door, mm. you know, and it was small and containable. But when that business proposition came up for Moveda or Key, it was like, fuck, you know, we're going to do a big restaurant up here. Are people going to come around here? You know, there's yeah. the lawyers, there's the courts, but there's no restaurants up this end of the town, you know. So, And, I mean, the, you know, it's, it's probably no secret that the, the restaurant business is, is tough, it's it's you know it, it it's very hard to to get to a certain level where you know you're really chugging along and 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 things are moving and i think from i think you know from maybe the general public looking in like if they see a restaurant close it's like they think oh shit like you know all all hell's broken loose like um you know um you know it it, it means you know everything's toppling over and i only say this is because you you've opened up other venues that you know probably didn't probably didn't go as well as you'd hoped, and you know let, let's just shut them down. But but the business overall keeps moving forward. Yep. Um, so like in Sydney, for example. So talk us through you know the, the process of opening that, and then you know the 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 decisions to you know probably step away from it, and yep. and you know what was kind of happening there. Go for it, Frank. Well, I mean, we'd been looking at Sydney for quite a few years, um, and you know we were you know, pretty confident we'd do well there. And, and I think that can, you know, be the downfall, you know. As I say, pride comes before uh, failure or something similar to that. Mm. But, I mean, saying that, I mean, we were there for nearly five years. We were mm-hmm. very successful in the first few years. Yeah. And then slowly deteriorated as as we took our finger off the pulse, I think. Like we, you know, um, you know, Andy and I both moved there for a very long time, you know, committed to going back, you know, consistently weekly and then things became monthly and then they became every couple of months and you sort of you lose contact and the standards drop whereas and the cracks appear the cracks appear exactly mm. and um 
you know, not making any excuses, but I think that's ultimately, you know, it, a, a restaurant is such a hands-on thing, especially a restaurant like Movita that isn't, you know, like each one's not a cookie cutter. We don't have a menu that you just replicate. We really rely on the, the skills and the talents of those people in those places. And if those people aren't performing at the best and, and we're not there to sort of improve them, and then, you know, standards drop. So yeah, I think, you know, we've learned our lessons out that, of that. That and also... Sydney is a very different place to Melbourne. I, yeah. I, I learned mm. in my experience. I mean, you're the flavour of the month when you open a, a place up there and you're just crazy busy. And then it goes it goes on to the next place, you know. And I saw that. It was a struggle to get everybody in the front door for the first two years and we were all licking our licks and lips yeah. and it was there was a great buzz about the joint. And then demand just sort of fell off, you know. And it wasn't all about... Our standards dropping. I think it's just Sydney ciders looking for that new, brand new, fresh, um, flash thing to go to. Yeah, and have a bit of dinner. Yeah, I mean, it's also the location we chose. I mean, we're not yeah, from probably Sydney, a mistake in so you know, we we probably chose the location in Surrey Hills, which I think you know the thing about Movita, it does need a bit of foot traffic and needs things around it. It mm-hmm. needs. I mean, all restaurants do, but so, so much more in a place like Movita where. You don't always want to invest in a dinner. Like, it is a destination, obviously, but it's also a place where you do... We want people to feel comfortable that they can drop in, have a glass of wine, have a couple of little snacks and pop off to a show, meet friends, do something else. Yeah. And there wasn't that aspect. of It was all bookings, destination, which we need... Or we think that doesn't create the best atmosphere for a restaurant. You want people using the bar, as we discussed earlier. We got talked out of going into the CBD in Sydney. Boat. You got talked out of it. Locals, yeah, yeah. Everyone yeah. thought we were mad thinking about going in the CBD, and then we went with Surrey Hills, and about four years later, the CBD exploded. And oh wow! Kicked ourselves, but anyway. And uh, then you can't win them all, Nikki. No, no. But that's the thing. Yeah. How would you say that? You know, so it's been eighteen years since the first one opened. There's there has to have been. You must have seen some some shifts in. You know the dining habits, the the the, the you know the, the food scene kind of market in in Melbourne or in Australia. What what have you noticed the most that's that started to shift since you first opened the doors? Whether it's been you know good or bad. Oh, look, I think what Andy was saying before, like the shared food thing, obviously, is you know which we were instrumental in starting is, is a big probably the biggest and the casualisation mm. of, of cuisine. So when we first started. You needed white linen to get a chef's hat. You needed to be a formal style restaurant, a serious restaurant. You had to take things. So that casualisation, whether it's a style of menu, whether it's style of service, for me is, is absolutely the biggest change over the last 18 years. Um, and I think the diner himself is another big change where people are much, I don't know, just uh, uh, much sassier about eating out, understand eating out a bit more, mm-hmm. enjoy eating out, not for the fa- sake of being seen in that because they enjoy that process and know how to use the restaurant much more than they used to. Yeah, definitely. And probably the other thing for me is, um, in addition to what Frank said, which I completely agree with, is just going out seven days a week. Mm. You know, it's not just Friday and Saturday dinner anymore. It's yeah. Tuesday, it's Wednesday, it's... Yeah, minus you know. COVID situation, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, that one in yeah. a minute. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I think that, yeah, th- those are the... But look, you know, there's, there's different... Um, different styles of cuisine or different fads almost, you know, and these have come and gone and they will continue to come and go. And you see them with young chefs as they rotate through Movita. And, and the difficulty for for me as a you know, older chef is maintaining that DNA of what we do. So, you know, there'll be 
you know, a chef that comes in, you know, 15 years ago, they wanted to do spherification, for instance, because, you know, that's... To do what, sorry? Oh, you know, make it's a molecular-style technique where you make, like, a, a little bubble of... It could be olive oil, it could be mm-hmm. something else, and it's got, like, a, a coating on it. And, it's, yeah, it's, spherification is just a word that I've picked out because it's similar, yeah, use a technique in right. in molecular modern cuisine. Mm-hmm. It's obviously and a now, that's come yeah. and gone. Yeah. You've got no idea. <laughs> well, that's still around, and, you know, and there's something... And, you know, and then... There's now, yeah, um, everything uh, needs to be a... Um, we went through the flower fad. Remember the flowers and the microherbs? Yeah, flowers, yeah. microherbs, yeah. Um, kombucha. What do you do there? Oh, like fermentation. Like, like fermentation. Mm. fermentation, correct. Yes. So okay. that's another... F- yes, yeah, so, I mean, you know, I'm nothing wrong with it, but, you know, it, it becomes to the point where basically the entire menu has something fermented on there. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. it's... It becomes ultimately like a um, cliche of itself and, and each of these cuisines is overdone. Yeah. You know, it's... It, it's not done for any other purpose than I want to have something fermented on that on that dish. You know, I think. Would Would you even say that there's 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 an increasing gap that's being created between like your high end, you know, three chefs hat, which, which is basically you know like three Michelin star type restaurants, as opposed to you know, do, do people want more not simple but casual, um, comfortable places to eat? Still very high quality, you know. I'm not saying it's going to be cheap or anything, but it, it it's still it's way more affordable than you know investing in these three hundred dollar set menu restaurants and everything that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Is I wouldn't say that that those kind of experiences are going away, but do you think there's a gap that's kind of increasing there or not? Or there's still there's still plenty of desire for the fine dining, but but with, with what Movita's been doing and, and then since a lot of other restaurants. They're very comfortable, high-quality food. That's what people are more looking for. Person, uh, look, I can only speak for me, but I got turned off that $300 degustation that went for seven hours at a mm. restaurant, both in Europe and at home, very quickly. I, I've, I've just never resonated with me as much as going to a place that was casual, great food, cuisine-specific, and getting some classic dishes that just taste good. That, that's my style of dining. Um, I think the gap probably there's a thirst for both, and there always will be. But I think over the last couple of years there has been a bit of a push back to the old school recipe, mm-hmm. the slow cooking, um, the cuisine specific restaurants that do it really well. I I feel like that's probably been a bit more of a winner than your three course Dego mm. place. That's my call. Mm. Oh, I'm, 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 I think so. I think that's that's the way things have travelled. Sort of the casualisation. I think there's still obviously you know room for that style of restaurant. I I, I do enjoy going to a degustation and as a chef perspective because I I see things, I enjoy things from you know my craft mm. and I can see you know the the work involved and the technique involved and and you know and it is interest for me. But um, I also get it that you know. We don't have the attention spans we used to, are they right? So, <laughs> like, you know, we and, and people want to enjoy themselves um, how, on their own terms. I don't want to enjoy myself. A lot of people don't want to enjoy themselves on the terms of the chef or the sommelier. They want to be there because they're the customer. Yeah. And if they don't want to do that, they don't have to do that. They want to, you know, be there for two hours. Why can't I enjoy a wonderful meal here for two hours? And I think, yeah, really, you know, it's that whole massive degustation, you know, um, with matching wines, it's a special occasion, mm. and it's certainly not something that people do on a you know, random sort of Wednesday once, once night. a week. Yeah, and you don't do it with 
with your family and friends. You usually just do it with your partner. You know, you go as a two to those sort of restaurants. Mm. I find I run out of conversation with my <laughs> four hours. Yeah. We're both calling the babysitter to no, but see the good thing about that, right. You can always talk about the food. But that's about it. Check the footy scores under one. the table. You know. So over the years, I mean, you've had, you've had a lot of chefs, front of house staff uh, come in, work for you guys. Some have, you know, moved on to, to their own ventures. Can you... Can you tell us a bit about, you know, some of the, I mean, because you would have trained a lot of chefs in the kitchen, you would have trained up a few people in front of house and bartenders and waiters and whatnot. So they trained me. That's what I was going to say, yeah. yeah. They trained us as well. There must be there must be a pretty big community of people that, that you know, you've kind of had a had a hand in. Well, I think they don't, um, they don't, I don't see them as staff anymore. They're friends, friends and family, like people that I hang out with and, and you know, um, have, you know, normal social interaction with and fun times with the people probably that I've worked with and still do. So, you know, we're talking before about Michael Bartholomew who who owns Coda and Tonka, you mm-hmm. know, started at the Karen, managed with Andy when we first opened, you know, quite a uh, legendary big character. I remember him, um, one of the <laughs> funniest stories about Michael was... I nearly blew. I blew on my. Let's top. go easy here. Oh no! no. Remember, welcome to hell. Oh. <laughs> Tell them that. So story. this is how busy it was at one stage. Like this is what Andy was saying before, where um, you know, we still were answering the phone, and we were like, there was people <laughs> everywhere, and I, and the phone was re- right next to the um. Next to the kitchen, I remember ring, ring, ring. Can you answer that, Michael? And then people trying to book. They're trying to find a book. Yeah, and he to answers it with "Welcome to hell." <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to hell, Michael speaking. <laughs> <laughs> and then just started throwing glasses oh, in the bin, shattering oh, on purpose. But um, yeah. Oh. So then they've had a big blue. Then we've had, then Telstra called us and said, "Were you aware you're missing like twenty two thousand phone calls a month?" And we're like, "Okay, time to get a receptionist." Mm. Just. Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, yeah. So Michael, yeah, he went on to do Coda Tonga. There's been a stack, like Frank said, they're family. These people, you know, like so many people have put so much hard work and love into working with us for our business, but they've contributed so much. You know, yeah. there's there's Marty Beck, um, who's now of Dr. Marty's Crumpets fame. He's a crumpet business, yes. Yeah, crumpet yep. empire. <laughs> yeah, crumpet <laughs> empire. <laughs> From Camorne, Richmond. <laughs> um, who else has been pretty important? Uh, Dante uh, Rewain's pretty special mm. to me. He um, he came on board and, and, and really uh, he trained me up in into how to run a bar properly um, at that time. Um who else has been Jimmy Campbell? Jimmy Campbell, fuck, was one amazing. of my best mates. Yeah, so and yeah, he he ran Sydney for quite a while. Has gone back and, and opened a pub at um, the Bunyip in Cavendish, which is amazing. If you're mm-hmm. ever in that part of the world, you've mm-hmm. got to get there. Um, you know, but all these guys, um, even like um, uh, uh, like my, Jimmy's, you know, like help in, in creating the dishes like you know the Athena which won the the dish of the year award I remember like you know we I'd done half the dish Jimmy finished the other half appeared on the menu that day I gave two it days to Matt later. Preston I demanded yeah. he eat it that he night Matt, he came in for dinner and then won minutes. the chef of the year and yeah. that, that's kind of like how the, the restaurant grew I remember like our anchovy and smoked tomato sorbet which is a bit of a signature as well like I had all these smoked tomatoes um Dom, Tom who Cooper. was the yeah, some Tom Cooper. Tom, who was the original sous chef, made the smoked tomato sorbet. What do we do with this? Put it with that. Yeah. You know, all these people have not just been like, you know, 
working, but they're intricately in, you know, involved and important in the business and creating the food, creating the style of service. Everything about it has been a combination of everyone. Yep. And, of course, they become your family in the end. Absolutely. Even like with the, with the chicken Miguel, right? That was oh, that was another <laughs> funny. So I remember. So this little chicken escabache dish, which is basically shredded chicken and vegetables and a mayonnaise. It's like a classic Spanish little saucy chicken dish. And I used to do it as like a little crudon. And I used to remember like I'd open the, my door and there'd be like you know <laughs> there'd be like a third taken out each night. And eventually I had to ask, well, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> And then like, they'd show me what they'd make. So they put it into like a little crispy bread sandwich, a little bit of Tabasco, and make it like a little chicken sandwich out of it with the. They were, and they were bloody delicious. That, that was Michael Bartholomew. Yeah. That was that was us sitting on the bar. We'd have about twelve stubbies. Everyone's gone home, and then of course we get hungry, so we'd warm up that. Remember the octopus you'd have ready too? Oh, yeah. The octopus in the microwave, bang, and then the chicken sandwiches. So then yeah. Frank's tasted it and thought, "Fuck, that's an improvement on our dish." So adopted the Tabasco. It's still on the menu. It's still on there. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you think has has there been a has there been a decrease in like the the, the food being stolen in the middle of the night in the kitchens these days? I we, hope so. We stock take things now. <laughs> yeah, we, exactly. We've heard of this thing <laughs> called stock take. <laughs> back in those days, it was just cash and no stock take, so things could go missing. Mm. I think I remember because um, because the dish pig was was in charge of the deep fryer at one stage, right? Doing the croquettes and doing the uh, uh, yeah. pimento. Um, Oh, I'd be pimento, lying. The so called pimento. I'd be lying I if I that. said I, I may have <laughs> fucked up a couple on purpose. <laughs> Just so, oh shit, burnt another do. one. Oh. Whoops! So I guess I'll have to uh, eat that. Yeah, that's extras. Yeah, you got to survive somehow during service. <laughs> I mean, that was way before you know we heard of things like food costs, you know, <laughs> beverage costs, wages costs. You yeah. know, it's a different world these days. You know, the chefs are so adamant. You know, they got to keep their costs in line and all the rest of it. So yeah, a lot of that less that happens. Well, I remember doing services. I'm like, where is Michael? What, what is going on? You know, like his section's going down. Where is he? And I've run out the back, and he was patching a waitress. Out. <laughs> oh, it's like, <laughs> for God's sakes, you know, like we're in the middle of service here. Can we get a bit more professional? <laughs> Uh, speaking of um, professionalism, the which is, which is lacked over this. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the the business and the brand is, has has grown tremendously. It's, I mean, Frank, you've on, on you know on the uh, on on the level of a chef, you know, you've you've put out what like four or five books now. Yeah, so four cookbooks and a, and a food guide to Barcelona. Yep, which is fun making. I tell you, <laughs> I a few months in Barcelona, just eating and drinking, it was great, and. You know that, that that's like an extension of the brand, and that um, like you know how important is is putting you know books like that out to is it all about bringing people back into the restaurant, or is it is it just a general expansion of the business, and this is just one thing that comes with it? Well, every man and his dog has gone on to write a book. Yeah, <laughs> but when you first, when the first Movita book that was very exciting. That was, oh, yeah. that was great. I remember there was some like fact that in France it was the number one cookbook for a little while. So oh, was yeah, it's, it's been. Yeah. Did I imagine that, or was that? Oh, I don't know. Possibly I might have lied. I'm pretty to sure. You. I'm pretty sure it's number one. <laughs> it's number one in the world. Like Santa. They won a couple of awards. You know, yeah. <laughs> no, no, look, I mean, they were very successful. You know, it's it's kept still being published, and it's been you know changed into five or six different languages. Same with Rustica as well. Mm. Um, and I think what you said before about the brand it was super important because that mm. made people say, "Oh, well, hang on," because I think at that stage, you know, a lot of food writers and what have you just saw us as like you know an aberration of that style of food. And then, hang on, they do think about their food, and you know, there is you know a lot of interest. 
um, in what they do and maybe should take them a bit more seriously. And then I think that that just really put our brand, solidified our brand, you know, and made people understand that, yeah, look, you know, we make everything in-house, just like a fine dining restaurant does. We make the bread, we make the ice cream, we make absolutely every item that comes into that kitchen. You know, it's not like half-assed cuisine. Mm-hmm. It's taken very seriously and this is the proof of it. And then, you know, and then also the, the philosophy behind what we do as well, which is really important, which is, you know, basically, you know, obviously we're a Spanish restaurant, but we don't want to just be, you know, a cookie-cutter Spanish food. So, you know, it's obviously we're you know, led by the season. We're led by finding a, a dish that then takes that seasonal ingredient and relates it to Spanish food. And then we try and use little new techniques and methods and, yeah. and that's what we do. Yeah. I think that's not a bad thing to put on the Movita website. It's just to be Movita. It's not half-assed cuisine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I, have yeah. to, I have to tell you, if you've got a cookbook out there signed by Frank Camora, there is every <laughs> chance it's my signature. <laughs> <laughs> Small chance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you know, further to that, um, you've you've since opened up a, another business, um, actually importing Spanish products into Australia. Correct. Yeah, so Alimentaria, which has been going for, well, since we opened... Just trying key. to remember. Um, yeah, what, it was about the same time years, key. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, uh, myself and... and oh, and uh, a big shout-out to Lizzie Carey. Oh, she, oh, yeah, really... Talking about family. Really, yeah, so it's, Liz Carey was um, first manager at Movedra Key. Yes. And she really got that business into shape, you know, really, mm-hmm. um, obviously, it, it's, it's food and wine, um, and really, it was an amazing um, sort of way to generate a business because our first thoughts were just import stuff that we like to use and I remember why we went overseas was because a particular anchovy that everyone knows by name but I won't mention we used to use for that signature dish and we used to go through uh, two cans a day two of the large I'm not talking about those little cans I'm talking about those, those massive in- industrial ki- size cans yeah the 80 anchovies like 150 anchovies every day day after day after day Remember the, the local importer distributor at that time ran out of them and was making us buy the little cans but wouldn't give us a discount. And I got furious. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, what sort of business, you know, has such a great customer and then won't? And so that's when we headed off overseas to try and find an anchovy to, to use at Movita. A rival anchovy. <laughs> an anchovy quest. <laughs> what I love a great it. Way to go. Um, and we found <laughs> the anchovy and then slowly, you know, we got roped into. A beer, Maritz, for instance. So that was yeah. just like basically, you know, mm. um, a great bar they'd set up in this place that was basically um, like a, a, a big uh, event and they got us in drinking these beers and, and we love fell in love with those and then uh, and then importing wine and a whole bunch of range of foods. Now we've got our own Movita branded products and yeah, it's been going really well over the last 10 years. We started off with that Vichy Catalan too. That was a bit of a miss. We made a few, <laughs> made a few misses. A few I blows it. along the way. It's like drinking salt water. But did I you ever it. try that? Remember well, what the was Vichy that Catalan? That we we thought, oh, hang on, let's let's do our own mineral water as well. And it's sort of like a yellow label. It's from it's uh, from Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's the saltiest drink you've ever had. <laughs> yeah. Like we used to get more returns off tables. Like say we can't drink this. Take it back. That I said to Frank, nah, we're not importing that ever again. Try it. And you know, has this business grown into something where you're, you know, you're supplying other other restaurants in the community, other, or is it just you know direct to oh, direct to the like public? Frank said, we we didn't imagine distributing nationally around Australia. 
Um, it was just set up for our own purposes to start mm. with. But because some of the products were bloody good, then it sort of started to organically grow, um, grow outwards, and then now we sort of, you know, do all of Australia with well, the help of some other again, companies. Again, like those people, as we said before, that have worked with us that have actually shown us. So Liz 100%. Carey really, as far as the wine, yep. started importing particular wines that had, you know, a certain, you know, natural sort of tendency to them mm-hmm. and, and really, yeah. She was ahead there. of that curve. Yeah, and yeah. really, um, you know, point of difference for us and, and Spanish wine in general from what was already here. Um, and then Lachlan, who's currently with running the business now, really um, expanded on that, but also expanded on the food offer, you know, the online shopping, which is, you know, over COVID really saved our ass immensely. Like, honestly, like uh, that period where full lockdown, but we could supply boxes of wine to, you know, people at home. We could yep. supply boxes of food um, and, you know, and also a range of Movita branded products, which is introduced um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. built a quite a great following, and all those good supermarkets that stock mm. all that stuff. Yeah. And it, and but it also, I mean, it gives you, you know, you're almost in more control of your own destiny because you know you get to go out and source these really interesting products. You know, like you said, point of difference. Um, you know, just to really kind of bring something more special to to the restaurant, and you get to control it, not relying on you know some other some other person that's out there hunting for these these wines or there's, these there's been a lot of products like that so i remember um i was in spain and i was i was astounded by this product plankton so this guy was a really renowned uncle leon chef which is his name in the south of spain um has started producing a powder which is basically dried plankton mm-hmm. um and amazing so delicious Pretty expensive, probably the most expensive powder. Tell them the technique. How they how they get the plankton out? Oh, it's all um, I don't know the actual technique, but they, they grow the technique. They in put like it in a little, swimming pool. Yeah, they? They, they they grow it in in like a lab sort of thing, and then they dry them out yeah. and whatever. So it's like a green. Powder. It smells like the ocean, but not salty. Oh, so, so I was going to say, I was, is it salty? But it's not. It's not just, salty. It's a, no. yeah, yeah, right. Interesting. Um, amazing. Super delicious. Um, but so expensive, just couldn't work. Like mm. we, we brought it in for the restaurant. We the whales the are restaurant. onto something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, um, so yeah, that, that's an example of, of what you're saying. You know, there was like a lot of these ingredients, even something like as simple as a chickpea. We started bringing in our own chickpeas because we found like the most amazing chickpea that we yeah. could ever eat, and you know, and that's one of the products that's had the most success. Mm. Like, um, you know, there's some things that you wouldn't normally think would work, but we had the opportunity to use it in our restaurant, give it a go, and see how the public sort of took it, whether it's you know, re- other restaurants or, yeah, you know, the public they're just buying it through it, retail. I, I've loved watching uh, when I get a can of something. And show it to somebody who's only ever had canned tuna or in Australia or something like that, you know. And you give them a product like mackerel or, or mussels in a can or something like that. It's just like people are like, wow, they did all these different lines. Mm. Um, the baby garfish are and my the favorite. baby garfish, but just that uh, that whole scene in in Spain, which probably grew out of Madrid being inland of canning seafood to preserve it. You know, it's just it, it's beautiful stuff. It's artisanal, and then you bring it here and show it to someone in Australia who's never had it before, and they're blown away by the flavour and the technique and how it looks. You yeah. know? Well, one of my favourite restaurants in the world. Well, it's not really a restaurant, bar. Um, Kemet Kemet in Barcelona. Mm. There's no chef. It's all canned product, cheese, and small goods. That's it, and it is amazing. <laughs> like it's just wall to wall wines, and you know, tiny little place. Yeah, tiny little place. The guy is you know, 
been running it in second generation and, you know, you just go, oh, look, give me a plate of your fishy stuff, give me a plate of your meaty stuff, open some cans, put it on it. But every item he puts on it is incredible. Delightful. So much fun. Like, it's such a fun place, again, getting back to what we were talking about, but also super, like, delicious. And not a chef in sight as well because everything that's already got there is superb. I love that. If you pitch that idea to somebody (laughs) and... Benalla, <laughs> ten years ago, to open up a little bar just with can yeah, food, in just it. cans of John West <laughs> tuna, VB stubbies. How about it? Sounds all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I've got to ask about criticism mm-hmm. and and dealing with that over the years, and and and, and how you combat that. And the, and the other reason I this comes to mind is I, I think I was working in the kitchen this day where you're cooking. And you have a steak tartare on the menu and someone had sent the tartare back and asked you to cook it on the grill. I think that was Spider. (laughs) Spider wanted us to sear it. I think it... It's happened more than once, Andy. Oh, it has? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... Wow. A, a steak tartare is a traditionally raw, you know. It, I, don't it, see, it is, I don't see that as criticism. <laughs> well, I see that as stupidity. That's, <laughs> that's, that's not a criticizing my. I, I, I feel true. for that person. True. But um, how have you, you know, have you got any, have you got any examples over the years where, look, you know, and, and it, it could be criticism, criticism where it was due or maybe it wasn't, but. Um, Oh, of course. How, like, how you do know, you kind of deal with oh, that? Chefs no, of egos. It, it, it deflates you badly. You know, I've, I've read. Um, you know, reviews on us where, you know, it might have been a time where the food gets a glowing review but then there's a little, you know, dig at the service or something mm. at the end of it and it does. It sort of breaks your heart reading it because you, you know how much hard work you're doing and putting into it but you've just dropped the ball mm. and then it's there. It's in writing. It's in front of you. Look, and you know that. other people are reading it and talking about it. Yeah. So you know, everyone we- loves a car crash of a review. <laughs> like, you know... Remember yeah. reading the oh. paper on a Tuesday and yeah, you'd, yeah. Get, you'd get three good ones, three good joints and you sort of you tend to, to agree and yeah. then you'd wait for the car crash, you know, and that <laughs> was the one you really cherished. <laughs> you know, as long as it wasn't your restaurant, it's fucking good cool, yeah. you know. Well, yeah, it's always the most entertaining. Yeah. But, I mean, there were times when, you know, we saw, like, I'm, 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 to be honest, I've stopped reading, um, you know, comments and reviews online mm. uh, because I don't know if I'd, look, I'll give you an example in a second of one that, happened just recently but there have been moments when we used to and, and i noticed the there was a like at Minerva next door there was a pattern you know there was a pattern about the service and, what, yep. and we acted yep. on that and yep. i think you know there, there is something to be said about that but i think oh, yeah you can't you know, completely ignore it i mean yeah. somebody reviewed not reviewed there's a comment on um there was like a broadsheet review we got recently on Tresinco, which is our new little mexican place in hosey alone mm-hmm and somebody commented, yeah, great tacos, pity, pity the prices aren't like Mexico. It's like, <laughs> okay, okay, how wrong is that? Like, we could charge know, you in pesos <laughs> if you want yeah, us to. Exactly. So it's like, you know, people, there's stupidity out there. So, you know, you've got to take criticism on board. But if you, know, and if you do see that pattern, but also there's a lot of dickheads out there as well that will just say something for the sake of saying something. Yeah, absolutely. You can't win with, with, with everybody. I've learnt that over the years. Mm. And then what about uh, 2020? A, long, a lot of us want to just pretend it didn't really exist. But in in Melbourne, Australia, where we are at the moment, you know, Melbourne did go through a pretty pretty hefty lockdown compared to some other cities, um, not just in Australia, but 
probably other parts of the world. You know, extremely tough year for, for hospitality in general. How did you guys, you know, push on through and mm. and kind of, you know, well, We were actually with going. you when this whole... That's right, yeah, mm. March of... 2020 Fiasco kicked off it was, it was the night around about that time we were having um korean barbecue in los angeles correct and on the tv in the background they just announced that the nba was shutting down yeah. for the rest of the season we That's right. yeah it's a bit of a shock at that because we we still at that obviously we just traveled to la and we're on it we just yeah let's put it in mexico. context we weren't traveling to la just to have korean barbecue. <laughs> yeah no, we'd been in mexico for treza cinco with yeah. james and we sort of, you know, thinking this is just a, you know, um, bird flu. Yes, it's serious, but no, it won't affect us. Mm. Yeah. And then it just progressively got worse and worse, mm. day, didn't it? The oh, news, the updates. Yeah. Um, to the point know, of the last night in Guadalajara where our wives just rang us and just th- went, you yeah. fucking idiots. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, it, <laughs> now. It, it, it's, it's important, it's important uh, to point out. The night that the NBA shuts down, it's like, oh, shit's probably getting a bit real here. Like, you know, Frank, what do you want to do? Oh, let's just go to Mexico for a week and just, you know, do some research, just, hit a few taco yeah, bars. Okay. Yeah. Well, they well, had no idea what was going on in Mexico. Yeah. It was party time. It was, it was probably a good place to go. Yeah, cracks. We got back in time just so we didn't have to self-isolate uh, in the um, in hotels as well. Yeah. So We did have to isolate. At home. At home. home. Yeah, indeed. So that's to go back to your original question. That's when I had the, well, Frank and I both had that two weeks by ourselves. We sort of had to shut the restaurants remotely. Um, so Melbourne went into a mm. lockdown and that was really difficult. I, oh, yeah. it, was, it was an awful time, you know. I felt sorry for the staff that I wasn't there to answer questions and physically shut it down with them. And nobody knew what was going on. It was, it was punishing, it, to be honest. It yeah. was awful. Yeah, it was just sad. Yeah. So yeah. and then we, we, we tried a couple of things, you know, early days, you know, everyone was in a mad scramble to do something and do it right. So then we tried to do a little bit of hot takeaway food. Yeah, and set up a little um, yeah, hot takeaway food from Avita next, next door, door and set up a like little a shop there. Oh, yeah, yeah, you had the window on the yeah. laneway open yeah. now. Yeah. We're seeing photos on, on Instagram. Yeah. and We hadn't realised that no one was going to be in the city. <laughs> so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> basically that wasn't going to work. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember when we got out of – when that didn't work and then at the same time – and I'll give my mum a lot of credit here she she was one she put me onto another restaurant um in town that was doing a, more of a provisions box mm-hmm. so you get the order up to around that 120 mark but but there's a couple of meals involved over a couple of days and it just looked more family orientated more a better style of takeaway yeah, package. we weren't trying to do like restaurant you know movido fine ver- versions no, it was like quite the food that would be like yeah, we call it a menu of the day, menu of the year, which is basically if you go to Spain, the classic little bars, they just serve really inexpensive, delicious menu for lunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that hit the spot. Yeah, and a little bit of comfort food in it because mm. everyone was pretty low at that point. So yeah. that sort of took off pretty quickly. and, and, and But more importantly, it, it kept us all together, mm. you know, the, the guys were able to sort of salvage. And get back in, and it was it was awesome getting back in the restaurant and doing that. There was a bit of a buzz about it, you know. We were doing something completely different and making a few mistakes, but at least we were together and cooking and cleaning and in the restaurants. It was it was yeah. so weird in the city at that point in time. Yeah, it was like the end of the world. Like I remember standing on Flinders Street and being the only person there. Sometimes, wow, it was weird. But you got so you, so pushing through the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, was there ever a, was there ever a point there where it's like shit? You know, like. We might have to shut one of these restaurants down. Is it? Of course, is, we didn't yeah. know. I mean, it's just you know everything's going through your head. You know, mm. are we even going to open any restaurant? You know, 
like you know financially how do we do this you know i mean you know what about staff what are they going to do like how are they going to survive mm. um so obviously there's a lot of government support luckily um which enabled us to keep going and, and enabled our staff to keep going but the most important thing is our staff were amazing like to be honest like they were not only that amazing. but they were happy to you know sand the bar down paint the walls in the restaurants yep. you know strip back whatever they needed to be stripped back they, they did everything they that we would have asked them to do happily and you know and like just to keep themselves busy and then andy said keep us together so it wasn't just i had seen the waiters go back and start doing dish picking again for yeah. the first time in yeah. 15 years so i think that that was the wonderful thing about it is like everyone sort of really you know um rallied uh, rallied together and yeah, yeah worked together and moving you know moving forward now that things have you know started to reopen you know creeping back to a bit of normality mm-hmm. what do you what does the future look like for you guys with with Movita? what i think what it's survival at the moment to be honest like you know for us um you know we'd love to be able to just be in a position in a year's time where we're comfortable enough and you know still operating each one of our restaurants and you know it's working well cuz i think at the moment there there is a bit of a honeymoon period post lockdowns and reopening and and things are working well and people are busy and they're spending but you know as andy said you know it may take six months before we see the real financial like situation unfold really so Mm -hmm. the moment's consolidating our position maintaining our businesses maintaining what we do really well and not changing too much i think i have to say Mm. It was like Lord of the Rings, you know, sort of holding the line, you know. The yeah. <laughs> Hold. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, good. we have found, you know, that the customers have come back because they love us. Mm-hmm. They really do. And I think we just got to do what we do well and yeah. not change things too much at the moment. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd rather focus on doing what we do well. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be opportunities out there with inevitably people closing their restaurants and other things. And, but at the moment it's, yeah. Just bed down what we've got, do it well, be thankful for it, and um, and just wait and see what happens. Because that's that was the biggest lesson last year is that we had no control over our destiny. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think that said one thing to us was like you can only really control what's right in front of you. You can make plans for things six months out to a year, yeah. but honestly, you know everything's right there that you can control because everything can change in a heartbeat. Mm. Yeah, and it did, and it probably mm. will again. Yeah. You know, hopefully. But look, the Melbourne over the last two or three weeks, where are we now? We're in April, has been amazing. People are really coming out and spending money and, you know, and supporting restaurant scene and theatres and sporting events. People miss Melbourne, you know. They don't want to let it sort of go to waste. Well, it's a great time of year. You know, the comedy festival's been on, yep. which has been amazing. Like, you know, it's really shown us that people want to be out and about and watching, you know, performances. Mm. Um, as you said, the football, which is such a big part of Melbourne, and people, you know, it's great to see 50,000 people at the MCG. Where else in the yeah. world are we going to see that? So we're in an incredibly lucky position, but it's not to say that can't just turn around really quickly as yeah. well. Yeah. Surprise, surprise, people like human interaction. <laughs> not Zoom <laughs> meeting, sitting at home, you know. Like, yeah. Christ. All right, guys. Well, this has been fantastic. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on the Dish Pig. Mate, most Ab- welcome. Absolute thanks pleasure. for having us. Good to reminisce in some ways. Yeah. We'll have to do another episode where we tell stories that we didn't tell in the first one. <laughs> maybe maybe an, an R-rated a la- one. A late a night. Late. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. All right. I'll see you soon. Thanks, mate. Thank you.